there's this irresistible temptation you get once you're all grown up to go back and have a look at the house of your childhood. To go to that place all alone and take a bit of a sneak peek at the house and the street that you once lived in and played in as a kid. It might be a really unremarkable suburban street, but for you, this place is filled with memory and feeling and sensation. And I think this is a really eerie experience. And when you do it, it it feels a bit like putting something back in its place where it hasn't been for a long, long time. Saru Briley had to hold these memories of his early childhood very tightly to him because that was all the information about it that he had. Saru was born in India in a small town and he lived with his mother and his brothers and sisters. But when he was just four or possibly five years old, Saru was accidentally separated from his family and carried away to the mega city of Calcutta, or Kolkata as we call it now. Saru knew that his town was somewhere near a place that sounded like Barampur, but that was about it. No one could help him find his way back, so he was on his own. And Saru was forced to live by his wits. And then he got lucky. He was adopted and brought up in Australia by loving parents. Saru often thought about the mother and the family that he left behind, but he had no way to find them or to even know if they were still alive. Then, as a young man, he realised that the tools of the internet might make it possible for him to locate that one village and maybe that one family among the billion individuals of India. Saru Briley's story has caught the attention of the whole world, and his book is called A Long Way Home. Hello, Saru. Hi, Richard. That's a moving story. It's very powerful. And like I said, the whole world's interested in your story at the moment. How are you coping? You've been running a business in Tasmania for the last couple of years. How are you coping with world attention at the moment? <laughs> oh, gee, I just uh, go through a day at a time and, uh, and you know, I've got a lot of help with it too. So that's all really good and well facilitating. But um, it, it is a lot. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I find it quite surreal. Everything's happening, but also very humble and touched. How old were you? when you came to live in Australia? Um, I was uh, about to turn six, and uh, I had such vivid memories of when I was coming to Australia. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I did come to Australia, so... When you were taken to your new home in, in Hobart, how had your parents prepared the place for you to move into? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was something that I've never seen before. And uh, and Mum did a great job in uh, putting the Indian map on the wall, and she sort of decorated it with some um, Indian themes. And uh, there was toys which I'd never had, and you know more so my own room as well as my own bed. And uh, that was something that you know I'd sort of never come across because we all had to either, when I was with my family, sleep together, adjacent on the floor, or when I was at the orphanage, you either slept with other people too, sort of head and toe kind of thing. How much English did you have when you arrived in Australia? Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't have any. Actually, I did have um, just probably sign, you know, language where, where I sort of nodded, uh, uh, yes and no, and that's about it. So it was very little were there other Indian families nearby you in in Hobart that might help you acclimatise to this new life you had? Um, Mum worked in the chemist, so she knew a uh, an Indian family that lived uh, about uh, I think uh, a couple of hundred metres up the road, and so uh, they sort of helped. Her name was Celine, and uh, she spoke to me in Hindi, 
but uh, because I was sort of, I didn't have much uh, Hindi in me at all, really, um, I sort of just nodded and, you know, if she gave me instruction that this is going to happen, that, that and that was pretty much it. So that really helped me gel into, um, you know, the Australian culture and, you know, and all these new things that I had questions for. Um, she facilitated it. So you, nonetheless, you did have it in your head that something had gone wrong and that you went from this place and you'd been you traveled this enormous away and you'd left some family behind somewhere in India. Do you remember when you started to talk to your adopted mum about that life you'd had in India and how you started talking about the memories you had of that early life? Yes, I, I did, uh, but it was only, you know, quite a few years after because I hadn't had any English um, well, I didn't have a very good vocabulary and I needed to learn the language before I could uh, convey what uh, what actually had happened to me. What did you have? What memories did you have? I had uh, such vivid memories of, uh, or, or visual, um, of where I went uh, in my hometown, what I did, uh, where I travelled, who I saw, um, and then, you know, the whole thing of being lost and catching the train uh, during the night to Calcutta and... Could you remember the name of the town you were from? I don't remember the town, but I remember the suburb. Right. And that you knew it was somewhere near a train station called something like Barampur, mm. something like that. That's what you had. I only had... Well, the thing about me when I was little, I don't think I pronounced things very well. You were so, little. Yeah, so instead of saying Barampur, which is the correct pronunciation, I said Barampur, which was the... the a railway station um, about an hour down from my hometown. So I didn't know my hometown name, but I only knew the suburb of my hometown. What did you remember about your family, the one that had been left behind? I, I just remember everything. I remember my mum working a lot. I remember my mum coming home, um, you know, perhaps uh, once or twice a week, and then she's sitting down, and you can see in her face the hardship she's going through because my father left us quite early, um, and, uh, and and really I didn't have a father figure except my brother. But, uh, you know, we, we all went through adversity, and uh, we some days we had food, and other days, which were most days, we, we didn't really have food, at least substantial food anyway. What could you remember of your brothers and your sister? Um, my two brothers, which was uh, Gudu, the oldest, and the second was Kalu, they were always away. They'd never come home, and if they did come home, it was like for an hour or two, and they'd always just go back out looking for money, looking for jobs, anything that you know they could really do. Um, and uh, my sister, she was only tiny. She was like about half a metre, a little bit over half a metre in height. And I, it was sort of my duty to take care of her, and I did the best as I possibly could. Um, so, you know, I, I'm quite close to my sister um, simply because I spent a lot of times just being with her, whether we sort of, you know, in a in a dark, dingy room um, during the night, just slept together and keep each other warm until, um, you know, that night or that day our mother's our mother came home or my brother came home. Um, it, it was just, life was very different. What, what pictures did, did you have in your head about the town that you were in? It, it was a very, you could say it was a very bland town. There wasn't a lot of trees um, out there. Um, during the monsoon season, you know, afterwards, uh, things sort of got a little bit greener, but it's a very dusty, um, hot 
Dogs uh, in the street? That kind there of was thing. dogs in the street and, you know, I was only a metre height, so I was so scared of dogs. Do you remember the moments when you were that little, when you felt happiest, when you felt most secure? Uh, back in India? Yeah. Um, it would have been, um, you know, when my whole family's together. So my brother, uh, my two brothers, my sister uh, and my mother were all together and, you know, I could walk out of the house knowing that my mum and my whole family, with the exception of my father, is in the house and there's always salvation if anything went wrong. But if that wasn't there, then, you know, walking with my brother and holding his hand was a good feeling too, and there was a big sense of security. Your two older brothers, uh, Gudu and Kalu, you mentioned there, how were, they, how were they going about making a living? Well, look, uh, the couple of things that I really know about them was that they used to um, work at a, a chai store, um, and then, you know, I wanted to work there too, so I got a temporary early job. Um, but that didn't last for long. And if and I, I don't think their job really lasts for long either, it's, um, f- going back on memories. The other thing too is they used to sweep in the, on the trains uh, just to find sometimes peanuts being dropped on the floor when people sat down or a rupee or two dropped on the floor that no one heard because the train was going so fast. So, it, you know, there wasn't secure jobs, but my brother... My oldest brother, he sort of had um, ways around. He was going from jobs to jobs. And uh, it wasn't necessarily my town either. It was probably most of the time in the town below, hence why I didn't really see him a lot. The night it all changed for you, the, the night that where, that ended that secure family life, such as it was, you were having dinner with your mum and your sister, Shaquilla and, and Gudu. You would have been, what, four or five that night, wouldn't you? How did that dinner unfold? Well... It was a night where um, I was really happy because the whole family was together, which was very rare. That day, I'd been walking a lot around town trying to stimulate my brain, and um, and I left my sister at home, and she was okay. Um, but when I came back home, I was tired, and you know, it was such a shock that oh my god, you know, my whole family's here. And at that point of time, I thought, you know. I don't want to be by myself anymore. Yes, I've got to look after my sister, but I want to do what my brothers are doing, especially my oldest brother. I want to be with him. He's like my idol, the, the, probably the only father figure at, back then that I really had. He was about 14, wasn't he? Yes, that, approximately. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, no, nope, I'm not staying here. If you're going to go, which I know you're going to go, I'm going to go with you. So I didn't... I followed him and he said he told me to go back and I said, no, I'm coming with you. And he sort of really, really urged, it's late, you're really sleepy, go back. I said, no, I want to come with you. I don't want to stay here anymore. So he had a bike with him, like a little BMX, and we um, rode at about 8 o'clock approximately to, from, our, um, from our house in the suburb to the um, town railway station during the night. And uh, that was a great feeling, and uh, and we ended up at the railway station, and we waited for a train that was going to Barampur, which which that's the way that I sort of you know pronounced it, and um, and uh, we caught a train down to Barampur, and it must have come to about nine, you know, ten o'clock at night, and at that point of time, my eyes are doing all the talking, and they're saying, look, 
you know, you've got to go to sleep and the and and the swaying feeling came in as well and the drowsiness um, simply because my legs were tired, my whole body wants to just fall on the ground and go to sleep. So when I got off that train and I saw uh, in Burrampore, I saw this little park bench and I thought, you know, I'll walk towards there and, uh, and just sit down. Um, and uh, my brother said, just stay here for a sec, I'll be back. Um, so... Then you fell Na- asleep. Naturally, I fell asleep on the bench on the railway on the bench. station. That's correct, and um, and I don't know whether I was asleep for an hour, half an hour, two hours, three hours, but when I woke up, ultimately I was thinking, well, where's my brother? He should have tapped me on my shoulder to go uh, wherever we're going to go or whatever we're going to do, whether we're going to get some food or we're going to go to um, find a place to sleep for the night. I don't know, but. Ultimately, I was thinking, where is he? And he was nowhere to be seen. So I thought, perhaps he's on that train, which is which is all of a sudden is right in front of me. I'm not too sure whether it's the same train that I got off or, or it's a, another train that's got a destination unknown. Um, uh, you know, two hours later or three hours later, it's that's all sort of a grey area. I don't know when, if that train was the train, same train or was a different train. But... I had that kind of impulse decision that he's, I think he's on there. And so I went on the train thinking he's sweeping underneath the benches to find some peanuts or some um, food underneath that people had dropped or some money. Um, And when I got on that carriage, I couldn't see him and there was hardly anyone on there either. But I thought perhaps he's on the carriage further below and he's going to work his way up. And I thought at that point of time, well, I'll just go to sleep in the little cubicle in the carriage. And when he sees me, when he works his cells up, um, then he'll wake me up and we'll go on from there. But that was that was a, a decision that was coming from uh, someone that's just, you know, not thinking right. He was tired, he was sleepy. and uh, You're just a little kid. I mean, you're four or five and you made a pan- maybe a, a bit of a panicky decision or... A- so you there you are on the train though, and and what happened once you got on the train? Sorry, um, I just went to sleep. I was that tired, and for me, when I go to sleep, I'm a deep sleeper, and I think that's carried on right through to now. But um, I went on the train not knowing, you know, that this train's going to rewrite my destiny for the next, for the rest of my life. But um, so once you fell asleep, the train was then travelling. You woke up, and what did you see once you woke up? When I woke up, I saw the sun blaring through the window and a landscape that I've, it was unfamiliar to me, and I was coming into uh, a town that it's like, you know, what is this? There's no one on the train. The doors are locked. I was panicking. Um, my heart was you know, just beating really hard, and, and, and I fell to the ground, and I just cried, and I just wanted my brother, and I was shouting out, you know, where is he? Because, you know going to sleep on a thought that your brother will wake you up in the morning and it doesn't happen and you're in an alienating place that you've never seen before in a train that's locked that's just to me was probably the most scariest thing one of the most scariest things that you know I've ever felt and you know what it really ended up was uh, going to Calcutta in this massive mega city how long were you on that train for do you think well my memory was about 12 hours uh, but now, when we sort of re-look at it, it wasn't 12 hours, it was 32 hours. But the thing about it, which is a grey area, 
I have this slight vision when, you know, not, not that I tell a lot of people because I can't really consolidate it, but I have a vision of getting off the train when it was daylight and getting on another train. But I can't consolidate that. And uh, my recollection is that I, I was on there for 12 hours, but everyone states that that is impossible. You had to be on that train for either 30 or 32 hours. Not necessarily that same train, might have been a different train. So it's uh, it's a hard one to consolidate. So the train pulls into this mega city of Calcutta. Had you ever been in a place like Calcutta before? Had you ever seen a city that size before? I've never seen a train station that size before, <laughs> let alone the city. Um, the biggest, you know, I've really been... Uh, was was my hometown. So what happened when you stepped out onto the platform? There you are, four or five years old. Your brother's nowhere. You don't know anyone. What what happened once you were stepped out of the train? When I stepped out of the train, I just saw mass and mass amount of people all wanting to go different directions like a confused sea. Um, I walked out and, uh, uh, and, you know, I was pushed left, right, centre. I, I didn't know where I was. I was scared again, the whole kind of feeling of like where am I this is alienating I'm out of my safe zone um what am I going to do where's my brother um and I I asked for help but no one would help me it's like you know we don't understand you or we don't want to help you because there was a language problem was there there was a mega language problem and I think you know as well as that it was I had a problem too because I didn't know how to speak I probably only had about 10-15 words in my vocabulary because you were so little. Because I was so little, I never went to school. I, I wore the same clothes twenty four seven, you know, for the rest of my life almost, um, in India. So, mother never came home and said, uh, you know, this is the etiquette that you do, or you know, this is how you say things if you want something and politeness. There was none of that. It, basically, the language that I had was. I want food, I want water, I need money. So how did you then spend those new... I mean, then hours go by and you're on this train station. Uh, What happened? How how did you then uh, go about doing anything or even try and finding your way home or eating or sleeping? How did you do that, Saru? I thought, well, this train, after, you know, picking myself up, which I find myself absolutely amazed in how I did it... um, I thought, well, if this train's brought me here, then if I go across the platform, another train will take me back. And, you know, that's a, that's just a thought. It's a simple thought. It's not a bad one. <laughs> it's not a bad one, but really, you know, if you think about it diplomatically, it's not right. You could have ended gone, gone to Bombay. Well, you know or, what? Or... That, we, could, we could talk about that and, you know, the <laughs> possibilities of what could have happened yeah. if I caught the wrong train. But for a whole week... I caught a train that, you know, I travelled for two to three hours and each time I travelled on the, the different trains, I ended up at the at a, at a, at end, a, of the at line. end of the yeah. line where it was really confusing because it's like how many times do I have to, you know, catch a, a train to sort of find out whether it's going to take me back or not. But um, So none of those journeys worked then? None of those journeys worked and sometimes I repeated the same journey you know, a different train went on a different sort of route and so it ended up. So these are days and days going by with you going c- catching trains in and out of 
Calcutta Station. Calcutta what, Station. What were you eating? What were you living on? Um, sometimes there was food on the ground. Sometimes there wasn't anything. And you had to just make do. Sometimes, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have to watch someone eating and hoping that they don't eat everything. And by the time they sort of had enough and throw it, you're the first one to grab it amongst others that were watching as well. There are other kids like you at the station? There were other kids there, but um, I, I sort of try to keep away from them because I don't know what the intentions were. And, you know, back in uh, my hometown, I sort of kept away from other people, and especially policemen and uh, older men and women in general. A railway worker took you in with some of his co-workers for a while. Why didn't that work out, Saru? Well, it was all good at the start because he came across real friendly. When he said to me, I'll give you some food and shelter and I'll help you out, I thought, well, that's great. I need someone to to help me because I want to go back to my family and see my brothers and sisters, uh, sister. And so when I was there, he said to me, oh, look, someone's tomorrow going to come over and uh, and help you out and ask you a couple of questions and I'm sure we're going to you know, get you back to your family. So when that day came, um, I was really excited. I thought, I'm going back to my family. I can't wait. And I'm really happy that this person is helping me because he's probably one of the first people that, you know, can sort of make out what I'm saying. Not knowing whether he's got bad intentions or he's telling me a lie, I had no idea. But when this person came that was supposed to help me, I sat down with him um, just on a, a bed outside and uh, he started talking to me, and he and I thought I sort of liked him actually because he looked like um, a, a real famous cricket player, which is Kafil Dev, and uh, and uh, and he said he is in Kafil Dev, but he gets a lot of uh, uh, that that question asked. But um, it was all going good, and then all of a sudden he he laid down on the bed and he said, "Lay down next to me," and he started asking a few questions, and then I started to get a real bad feeling in my stomach, and I thought, "This isn't right." Um, laying down next to a man that I don't know—it's uh, for me. I know I was quite small and you know uneducated, but it was just a gut feeling that. I've got to get out of here because I don't think this man has good intentions. Man, that's a pretty interesting conclusion to be able to reach at that age to figure out what was... So how did you make a break for it? Well, I thought, well, I've got to go today. And um, and I thought, well, this is the morning. Lunch is coming up soon. So when they, when we have lunch and uh, I'll, I'll clean the dishes, um, which they made me do, and uh, and I was happy about that. But uh, cleaning the dishes was a couple of metres away from where um, where they sort of had their smoke and, and chai after having lunch. And so I thought at that point in time, I will make my, my dash for it. So when I was cleaning the dishes, I was keeping an eye to my right on what they were doing. So they were sort of huddled around in a circle, same playing some game and smoking and having a chai. And I decided just before I got to the end... I'll, I'll, I'll make a run for it through this sort of a, uh, a sort of a gap that was uh, visible from my from where I was, and um, 
And I did that, and uh, and I and I walked slowly and um, went through the gap and just ran. Now I can't. <laughs> I was only tiny, so I can't really. Fa- I can't run really fast. And plus, I had no shoes. Um, all I had to myself, to my name, was my t-shirt and my my shorts. And so I went through um, what you call from a, the side of the railroad, um, where all these little sort of matchbox houses that were made out of tin roof and cowboards were into um a sort of a, a an alleyway and uh and, and into a sort of a side street did they come after you well after running for about 10 or 15 minutes i just thought oh, i'm so happy and you know the 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 tightness that i had was sort of relieving um getting away from there because i'm not too sure what really would have happened to me but i thought I'll just stop now after running for quite a bit, and um, and I saw some um, saw a fruit stand on the side, and I thought oh, I'd love to have some of that, and um, and what happened after that was that I turned to my left and heard this shouting and sort of people talking, and it was the guys um, that were uh, looking after me, and uh, they they were sort of adjacent to each other, scoping the street and asking people, have you seen this boy uh, at this age? And I knew what they were talking about, so right then I went around the corner into an alleyway. So there you were running from these railway workers and hiding out near a, a fruit stand. Did they find you, Saru? Well, that's the scary bit, is that they um, they had knives in their hands. And um, not that you could see it, but I saw it. And, uh, and at that point, when I saw them from a distance, there was a, a gap uh, a gap that uh, I sort of went through, like two houses adjacent to each other, and uh, at the end of the gap there was a, a drain, so I went in the drain and sort of crept back whilst the men, they were asking questions to the side stallers, have you seen a boy that he's so height and he looks like this? So when the men went past, I was really happy and you know thankful that because anything could have turned out. I was thinking, you know, perhaps they would have taken me, perhaps they would have perhaps killed me, or perhaps they would have used my parts for something. I don't know what would have happened, really. But the thing about it is that when they did go past and I came back out, I decided, well, there's a bridge which I can see, which is the Howrah Bridge. And uh, underneath the Howrah Bridge was the, the Hooghly River in uh, Calcutta. I thought, well, perhaps if I go from this side of the river and to the other side that these men will never find me. So you escaped. Eventually, just to jump forward a little bit, you were brought into a home for, which was more like a kind of a, I don't know, a child's prison in a way that was for all kinds of kids that were off the street or for kids who needed help. And, and then you were brought into an orphanage to be adopted. What was the orphanage like once you were brought in there? And tell me about the extraordinary woman who ran it too. Well, the orphanage was a lot better than the government juvenile home that I was in. The government juvenile home that was extremely, extremely scary. The closest thing to a, a nightmare that I ever really had. But being at the orphanage was really good because we we got food, we got uh, and showered and um, some nice clothes and a bed and security too. And the woman which was uh, running the show, um, the organisation, which was Saraj Sood, um, she was such a kind woman and she, you know, held me um, and took me in and, uh, you know, I've got a lot to thank for. But um, 
you know, I was still locked away in this this home, but the thing about it, that was our security for the kids. How did she tell you that you were going to have a new life somewhere else in the world? That was the amazing part because I had a friend there, was, her name was Azra, and um, she got a book and she was talking about it and uh, and I come to know that it was a book about her new family that she's going to go to. And she said, this is my mum, this is my dad, this is my new house. Um, and I thought, where's my book? And then the next day my book came and I thought, oh, excellent, I'm going too. But I thought I was like, you know, going with her. But then when I opened the book up, it was uh, it was different parents. And then we were sort of um, sort of exchanging information. When she said, this is my mum, I said, well, this is my mum. And she said, well, this is my new house. And I said, well, this is my new house. And, and that was really, really, you know, exciting for me because the word mother and father came into my vocabulary and... And from and, and that was a word that you know I thought I'd lose for such a long time, and I knew then that you know I'd never find my real family, um, and I knew what was going on because we were told that you know whether you choose to accept you can, and this will be a new family, your mother and father in this place, and uh, and or you got a choice of you know don't have to accept, but the thing about me was that. I had been through so much and no one knew what I had actually been through. Saraj Sood, the organisation um, head, she didn't, she didn't know what, was, what I had been through or any of the workers. So it was a grey area. So on my file from their end was sort of, you know, X factor. It's like we don't, under, we don't know what this boy's been through or where he's from because he doesn't know himself. So when you, when you decided to accept this new family that, that wanted you. Did that mean you also had to accept you'd never see your mother again? I accepted the fact, because I went through what I did go through uh, in Calcutta, that I'd never see my family again. And the longing for being and wanting to be in a family, I said to myself, I want to be with a family and these people that I've been offered, yes, I will take it and I'll uh, I'll at that point of time I just thought well you know what else is there it's like if these people wanted me then that'd be great I'd be really happy not knowing what I'm getting into but I just thought you know if anything else is going to go wrong then what else is the world going to fire at me because look what I've been through give me something else there's a picture of you on the cover of your book, and there's a picture of you at Melbourne Airport, and you were given a little T-shirt that said Tasmania, and what are you, six or something in that, or thereabouts, five or six or something? Approximately. And um, you got a, a chocolate bar in your hand, because <laughs> you'd made that last the whole, the whole flight, the whole trip, which, I think is, like, which is lovely. Um, and, and you've got this kind of, I don't know, I, can't, I don't know how to read that expression on your face on that. What, what do you see when you look at that face of yourself as a little boy arriving in, in, in Australia? I think it was a, just a confusion and and sort of almost mental disarray because I'd come on this journey not really knowing, you know, because they didn't say, oh, now you're going to Australia. It was just basically, you know, you're on a plane, then you're in this hotel, then you're on a, a massive jumbo jet and, uh, and, and you're sitting... Um, uh, 
in the highway and uh, you got this food coming out and then this massive chocolate bar. <laughs> it's all that, yours? Yeah, it was it was huge. It was bigger than my yeah. hands. I know it looks small on the cover photo, <laughs> but I ate it and I thought that was the best thing. <laughs> and um, and when I, hop, I hopped up to the plane, I just... Uh, it was the scenery was just totally different, and it must have been weird. Australia must have looked incredibly weird to you. Well, it did, but you know, one thing about this whole thing was that what I had been through in India and gelling into new situations, it was an ongoing thing. So, you know, coming going on a train into oh. the unknown, stopping at a train station that I had never known being submerged with billions of people at the train station, no one helping you in the life-threatening situations from trying to find your way home at the train station to the government juvenile home of people that are from all calibre. Um, and now you are in Hobart, so it's just, an- it's just, another, it's just another weird day it, in a weird life. In that's right. It's another transition that I have to adapt Adaption was one of my big things and, you know, coming to Australia and, and Hobart, seeing um, the the scenery, it was just, uh, it's like unbelievable. I'd never seen it before. So you grew up in Hobart, uh, brought up by really lovely people, your parents who, who loved and cared for you and they adopted another Indian uh, boy as well who could be a, a brother to you, Mantosh. As as that early life of yours receded ever further and you went to school and had friends and lived that kind of Australian childhood, how did you hold on to those memories so well? Because, man, that's so beautifully and vividly remembered, everything you've told me. I don't remember much at all from when I was four, <laughs> cause probably because my life was a lot less traumatic than yours, I think. But, but how did you hold on to those memories and keep them vivid and clear? Well, you know, the simplest way that I could really tell is that... Um, those memories of what I had as a child and what I've been through was sort of my identity, you know. It was something that I've got to fall back on and I know where I'm from, but it, as little as information that I could talk about it, I couldn't really, but did you make a consci- did, you, did you make a conscious effort to, as you grew up, to remember and it, hold on to the memory? Well, it was, it was weird because when I went to sleep as a little child and just growing up, I used to cry and I used to have pictures of my mother's face sort of just materialise and come about and my sisters and my brothers and sometimes I'd all of a sudden have memories of you know the fun things that I used to do with my brothers and sometimes a minute would go past and I've got a thousand photos just clicking over real quickly and flashing and you know that happened quite a lot when I was a child and things like music would play when I was out um just, just you know, just out in town or whether I'm, I'm in the house. And that would open doors to photos that, you know, it would relive a time where I was close to my sister or the whole family was together. Or I'd see a movie and with with a family and children that, like, you know, I, I felt that would open doors too, as in it will open a door mentally um, that... I'd see my mum and my mother and my sister and my brothers. So the doors were always being open and they were always ongoing and living. I'd never forget them simply because trigger points as in music or I'd see visually a family together or I'd see a movie like Salam Bombay 
um, that would, you know, reopen the doors and let let those memories relive instead of being, instead of being sort of diminished away where you never think about it again. What got you then making to a start once you'd grown up to make a determined search for the place you grew up in and for the family that you dimly remembered? Well, I was in uh, Canberra and I was doing. Um, uh, a bachelor business at the ARHS uh, International Hotels, Hotel School in Canberra, and there were other international students there, and there was quite a few Indian students there. And I've never, in being in Hobart, there wasn't a lot of, you know, it wasn't a big Indian community back there. So having Indian students from India was like, oh my God, wow! It's like this is great. I've never gone up and talked to other students before or seen sort of my age um, guys and girls from India and so I started talking to them and we became friends and then I told them my story and they were absolutely just astounded you know my whole story because it took a long time to to tell the whole thing and they were just absolutely mind boggled and this is like to them it was like a Bollywood story <laughs> well mad uh, it is I mean, oh yeah, yeah. yeah from India but um you know, I asked a couple of them, is there a possibility that you could help me? Does your dad in the Indian railway have any idea? Um, or does he? can you ask him, um, does a railway station called Barampur exist? And so this went on for a, quite a bit and you know, I got some news that there is a train station. But when I found out later, um, it was the wrong one. Because one of my other friends said, oh, there's a new application on Google called Google Earth. Take a look at it and... Uh, and so when I started using it, it was like, well, you know, I could see and zoom in to towns that I thought, you know, I never could because it was so hard trying to even do that kind of thing on a just a map or an atlas. But this application actually showed you a live, you know, photo. That satellite photo. Take, and satellite you can see landmark, landmarks yeah, from too, a, can't you? Yeah, from a uh, bird's eye view. So you can see bridges, water towers, everything, houses, buildings. Yeah. So that begins you on this search using Google Earth to try and find this town with a vaguely remembered name that was some hours by rail out of <laughs> Calcutta. How many years? It was you... six. It was probably just over six years of searching. Not six years of searching. But up and down. It had at times, you know, you can't do something, you know, all the time. So sometimes you let go and just think about it and other times, you know, um, you sort of got not wanting to search anymore because the internet speed was so slow and the refresh rate, refresh rate was so slow. But it was hope and determination, consistency, persistency, wanting to find the family because I desperately knew that this application can help me which is Google Earth, um, and and there's nothing else out there because I thought, well, I've got an image in my memory. I wanted th this is the only way to marry the two up. So you began this process of six years methodically following rail lines out of Calcutta, seeing where it would take you. If it was anything that looked like what a landmark that you remembered, or a town that sounded like Barampur or whatever, and this goes on for six years. Fortunately, you know, we get ADSL too, and so broadband speed picks up and it makes this whole process a bit quicker, a bit faster. This goes for six years, and then one night you decide to have 
a kind of a you step outside this little kind of pattern this kind of um, grid-like approach you'd taken to the whole thing and took a bit mm. of a stab in the dark tell me what happened that night that night would be uh, the biggest night of my life because i did something that i thought was impossible it was like finding a needle in a haystack and uh, it, it literally was that when i found it uh, it was, I just thought, you know, is this true? Is this right? It's like this image that I'm seeing now is an image that I saw 20, um, 25, 26 years ago. And uh, and it's like, it, how could it be? Is it like, was the force of the universe pushing me towards there? But... Well, so you just dropped in somewhere, did you? Just well... Dropped- I actually, it was vaguely in the area. No, no, no. I was. Cl- I had a radius line which I was searching and using a bit of mathematics. But um, the thing about it is that I'm searching in an area which I and anyone else would have never thought would have been possible that you could be all the way from the west side of India and have travelled to the east side. So I just thought, you know, that's probably reason why it took so long to find it because I never searched on the west side of India. So you've, so you've found these kind of familiar landmarks That's and then you found a train station and then when you pulled out of the trans, train station, what was the name? The, um, the name was Kandwa. But the first train station I came to was, uh, it didn't have a name until I pulled out and it was called Buranpur. But I thought, hang on, Buranpur, Buranpur? It must be Buranpur. But it said Buranpur. And I said, well, okay, let's have a look at the train station that is prior to Burrampur. Even though Burrampur looks exactly the image which is resonating in my memories, as in like, this two marries up. And so I just thought, well, it's the train station prior to this place. And uh, when I got to the, the prior train station before Burrampur, it was, yeah, it was just like a perfect match. It's It looked right. Exactly right. But the name, Kandwa, you didn't have that, did you? No. Kandwa, it's like, what is Kandwa? You know, you thought you came from a place called Ginestle, didn't you? That's correct. So what did you do then? How did you try and find Ginestle? Well, the thing about it is that the, the, the landmarks and the architecture of the, the town was perfect. There was no, no thoughts about this is incorrect. There's nothing here that isn't wrong. Um, so what I did was um, I zoomed out and, I, and it came up to Kandwa and I thought, I've got to consolidate this. So I went on to Facebook and typed in Kandwa and all of a sudden uh, a page came up which said Kandwa is my hometown. And I thought, is this the same place we're talking about? There can't be many, you know, Facebook sort of, you know, homepages that will have that. So I gave it a whirl and I thought I'll type to the administrators and I asked him all these questions only the person, if it really was that, the same hometown that I'm talking about, would know. And each time I ask those questions, I got a direct hit, 100% correct. So what was Ganestale? Ganestale was a suburb. What was its real name? <laughs> Ganeshtale. Ganeshtale. <laughs> I was close. But... Like Ganesh, the Indian go- uh, the yes. elephant god. Yes. Right. Ganeshtale was pretty close, as you say. Mm. So that meant you could finally go over there. And, but you left it a while, didn't you? You left it about, what, 11 months or something before? Correct, it? yes. So when you went there on your own and arrived in Kandwa and Ganesh Talei, <laughs> what was that like? Tell me what it's like to walk into this place you haven't been to since you were four or five. That you were it was the, the biggest 
puddle of mental chemicals going everywhere. <laughs> you know, like an alphabetical soup, you had thoughts as in this doesn't look right, it's too small, um, Well, simply because when you were short, everything <laughs> looked so big. Um, you know, and I almost felt a point where, um, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, I've got to go back, I've got to go back home. But I soldiered on and... Even though I know that this is, it's totally correct at the back of my conscience. It's like, you know, Saru, there's no doubt that what you, where you're walking to and where you are is your hometown. Um, I just, I just couldn't believe it. I was like stunned, as in what I've done from what I had had done by finding it to where I've come to. And when you got to the house you used to live in, what did you see? Well, that was a that was the biggest kind of a letdown for me, and I felt almost. Well, very heartbroken because when I came to the house, the door was shut and locked, and um, and I thought the worst, which was, you know, these people have died; they're long, no longer there; they don't exist anymore. All the negativity comes in first, and there's no, you know, rational thinking of, uh, you know, well, let's not be so uh, strict on it and don't beat you up yourself so much because maybe they haven't died. But, you know, almost, I looked to the ground and feel and just thought, you know, I don't, I don't think they're around. But fortunate enough, enough a lady, um, next door to the house came out with a little baby and, um, she said, can I help you? She couldn't speak very good English and I couldn't speak Hindi at all. But we had enough sort of skill to understand that I'm after um, certain people's name, and and she got that and understood that I was that I used to live in this house, and I also pulled out an A4 piece of paper that my mum had put some photos of when I was a little boy, and I showed that to her as well. And you know, after having a conversation with her, she said these people don't live here anymore. So. At that point of time, I sort of knew that she understood what I was after and she knew what I was talking about. And that's as far as I went with her. But then another person came over and I sort of spilled out my mantra to to him as well. And then another person came. And I did the same thing. Then another person came. And so when the last person came, I sort of explained to him he could speak English a little bit better. And he said, okay, just wait here for a second. I'll be back. So I was waiting and we're looking at the house and they're looking at the photo. And when he came back, he said, come with me now, I'll take you to your mother. And I thought, you know, this is crazy. Am I hearing what I'm, what I'm hearing? Because, you know, what, what's the chances of her being, you know, still there? What's the chances of, you know, her being alive and, uh, or the family being alive? Because, you know, 20 minutes before, this lady with the baby came out and said, these People don't live here anymore. How far did he take you? He took me about you know five, ten metres around the corner. And uh, when I went around the corner, I saw three ladies standing adjacent to each other at the entrance um, of a house. And uh, the man goes, this is your mother. And I, and I thought, what, all three of them? <laughs> and, um, and I looked at the first one and I thought, no, that's not you. Then I looked at the second one and I thought... Oh, there's something about you. And then I looked at the third one and I said, no, that's not you. I looked back at the second one and I thought, you know, you're so short, but there's something about your face that resembles what's 
in my memories. And she stepped forward and I made out that, yes, she has aged, but her facial structures is still the same. And, you know, she looked at me, I looked at her, and we both were just in a state of just shock and just we were sort of, you know, speechless and she had tears in her eyes and, and, and I just thought, you know, the last time I saw you was a very long time ago and I disappeared and she must have thought the same too. It's like, how can this be? Has, you know, my answers really been, my questions really been answered by wanting my son back. So you were there, you saw your mother at last. And then she called over your other siblings, your sister, Shaquille, your older brother, Kalu. But good, it wasn't there. Your older, your your brother who you went with that night. What did she explain happened that night? What did you find out? It happened that night when you were taken as a little boy to the train station. You fell asleep and he didn't return for you. Well, the way that she states it and tells me that, um, that you know, when you didn't come back home and uh, the and she got a photo whether it was a week or two later um, a policeman came to her house with a photo of my brother cut in half and they said that he was on the side of the railroad and uh, that's where they found him they said we don't know how this happened but whether he fell off the train or he got pushed off the train um, that we don't know, but, you know, that was the most disheartening thing that I found that, you know, my brother, he's not alive anymore. And um, that's why he hadn't come back for And you. that's why he hadn't come back and no one had ever seen. So, you know, I'm still sort of grieving at the moment um, and, you know, getting over his death and, uh, and, and also living, you know, back 25 years too, because uh, I'm still catching up on it, so... So you've been going back and forth in the meantime between Australia and India, and you're looking to buy a better house for your mum as well. What a life, what a story. And it's been amazing to hear it from you, Saru. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. This is Conversations with Richard Feidler. You've been hearing my conversation with Saru Briley from 2013. Saru's memoir is called A Long Way Home. And just this week, a film based on his extraordinary life premiered in Canada, and it's called Lion. abc.net.au slash conversations is our website. I'm Richard Feidler. You've been listening to a podcast of Conversations with Richard Feidler. For more Conversations interviews, please go to the website abc.net.au slash conversations. 